Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller and as we ring in the new year, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the podcast, Jennifer McKeonan of the Press and Journal. Hello. Hello. And the calendar may have ticked over, but some things remain the same. Ian Murray is back on the podcasts, and I, for one, am delighted to welcome him back, as always. I must be too cheap. Uh, you're just, you know, you start at the top, you know, first one of the year, you start at the top, but you can only go downhill yeah, from here, right? Backwards. Let's start with, talking about starting at the top, this. Always a delight to hear see a new guest's face as they That's hear as that amazing gets. song. Uh, Prime Minister's questions, first one of the year. Um, I thought it was quite a good one. Would you agree, Jennifer? I thought there was, there was, was not bad. stuff there to discuss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> where do you want to start? Well, not really with Jeremy Corbyn, because I didn't think that was that interesting, mm. did you? No, not really. Uh, the Corbyn and uh, Theresa May discussed the NHS or, as Angus Brendan McNeil raised in a point of order afterwards, it's not the NHS, it's the English NHS. There's lots of different NHSs. Um, uh, there's more interesting stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, here's the interesting thing about the NHS stuff. I don't know if you saw this as well, Ian. Uh, was uh, Dr Andrew Murison raising the NHS. Mm-hmm. So getting questions about the NHS from Tory backbenchers. That's new, right? Mm-hmm. That suggests there's something actually going on. Mm-hmm. Something bad. Yeah. No, there is. And actually, it seems the case when you look at the first political programmes last Sunday, whether it be the First Minister or the Prime Minister, it seems these days if there's a problem in the NHS over the winter, all you do is apologise, <laughs> rather than actually trying to do anything about it. And I remember, I don't know if it was 2003 or 2004, there was a major winter crisis. The weather had been horrendous for it's always a, winter a long time. And uh, Tony Blair, who was Prime Minister at the time, went on to one of the political shows on a Sunday and promised £12 billion and a huge pay rise for nurses. Oh. So it was a way of doing something about it, where it seems to be now that a Prime Minister and a First Minister can just go, nothing to do with me, I apologise, hopefully everybody will be OK. But to be fair, we now know that £12 billion was pretend money and there isn't any money anymore. That's the problem, right? Well, you can you have to find the money then if you care about the NHS. Well, I mean, the NHS under significant pressure. Waiting times are dreadful in Scotland and in England, and it seems to me that the the measure of the NHS in Scotland seems to be it's slightly better than England, so everything's okay. And um, people who have and experience of it, Wales. and everything's better than <laughs> Wales. But everybody has experience of the NHS. We know that's not true. I mean, I've had a family relative who was told they'd have to wait nearly sixty weeks to get something even diagnosed with their leg. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. And that's not the way it was before. So it's definitely going backwards, yeah. and people can see that. That's true. I mean, the, yes, the new Labour government did put tonnes of money in, and whether you like it or not, things got better. You can argue about how efficient it was. But certainly things did improve. Things can only get better. Oh. Do you remember those days, do you? Uh-huh. you? Do you think back to those, those days? Those dreamy days. Yeah. I'll start getting nostalgic. Um, there's something else about the NHS. I can't remember what it was. Never mind. Um... Was this oh, a Royal Commission idea? Yeah, that's been kicked around, hasn't it? Is that a ro- what, what's that going to prove, a Royal Commission? It's going gonna, it's gonna to give some excuse to potentially raise taxes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it? Everyone says they love the NHS, and the minute somebody says, well, let's put up taxes to pay for it, voters go, oh, no, 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 not interested in that. I mean, that is, I don't know how you how you solve it. A Royal Commission's a very good way of knocking it into long grass, yeah. isn't it, really? 
exactly. Let's have a commission. Let's have another committee. Um, Let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it, what it does, doesn't it? <laughs> and the other issue I thought, again, it's kind of English only, but it got raised a few times, was housing one way or another. Mm. There's tenancies, new houses being rubbish. This is quite a big problem, right? I mean, I hear this quite a lot. Maybe it's just me. You know, Mr... What's his name? Mr Barrett. Uh-huh. I'm sure Mr. Barrett make really amazing houses. I only refer to them because they used to have amazing adverts, right? You remember this? <laughs> yeah, I do. The helicopter and all that. Um, but the, these new build houses go up, and then they turn out to be rubbish, and they leak and stuff. Mm. Um, and then there was stuff about tenancies. Housing is a big issue, right? Definitely. Um, for anybody uh, yeah. in their 20s and 30s, I would say. Yeah. and Frankly, I, I can't, you know, I haven't been able to buy a house. Not in London. Definitely not in London. Or not in Aberdeen, Scotland, come to that. Or anywhere, no. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, it's, it's one of these frustrations, I think, that most people of my generation um, are in a situation where they're unable to even think about ever buying a house unless yeah. they get some kind of massive inheritance windfall. And it's going to get Seems bigger. Seems to be the only way that people do it. Yeah, uh, but it's going to get bigger, isn't it? I mean, this is, mm-hmm. that's why I thought it was interesting. It's starting to get raised more at PMQs. People have been talking about it for ages, saying, you know, people can't afford houses, it's a bad thing and nothing's really been done or spoken We've about. We've got a new ministry now. But it's Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> beginning to get traction. Does that mean something's gonna, actually going to get done about it? Uh, I'm not sure that... Well, Theresa May's pushing a stamp duty abolition. For, yes. But doesn't that just... Making that much of a difference. Isn't that one of these things that yeah. just boosts demand? You actually need to build houses. That's what you need to build. That's what the experts it's, 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 said on the day. <laughs> yeah. It's a supply issue. Yeah. So you can do as much as you want with demand. It's a supply issue. If you don't build enough homes then it pushes people who can't afford a home because the prices go up into the private rented sector. The private rented sector then buy all the homes to rent, so it pushes prices up even further, which means that people have continued to rent, and it's a vicious circle. And then when you add into that social and affordable housing, which is the the building of that across the UK, Scotland and England, over the last uh, decade or so has been abysmal, then people are pushing the private rented sector, which means the vicious circle continues to go around. You just, you have to build. The only way out of this problem is to build. It's economics 101, really. It's just supply and demand. Correct. uh, There you go. (laughs) But but house builders are interesting. I mean, you mentioned Barrett, and of course there are other house builders out there. Are there? I can't remember. But uh, house builders as well... um, have a have a responsibility here on the basis that they build to the market. Right. So, you know, local plans and all of those kinds of planning <laughs> geeky things that say you have to build 10,000 houses, yeah. the market doesn't withstand that and the house builders know that. So they only build to what the market will withstand, which right. again is the vicious circle of pricing and land prices and what people are willing to pay. Nationalisation, that's the answer. National House, but you, you, you go you on Corbynista. National your New House building. To be a bit, bit, I love it. Bit, be a bit Corbynista, is this what you... Absolutely. Um, Growing a beard. I've grown a beard. You have, yes. It's, could do Stage better. one. Could do better. Beard 101. Did, did you get any beard oil for Christmas? No. Oh, I did. It's did good. you? Yeah, you should get some. It's good. Mr Natty. If Mr Natty wants to uh, wants to sponsor this podcast, he knows where to come. Is that not Ian Blackford? <laughs> Very good. Oh, oh, he's sharp. Uh, shall we talk about Ian Blackford? Oh, at PMQs, poor Ian Blackford. <laughs> Getting booed every time we stand up. Yeah, um, he's a nice man, right? We all agree, Ian Blackford. He's a nice man, man isn't he? Yeah, yeah. we'll agree. Um, you know, and it's a very fair point that he's making. <laughs> is it fair to say we're all we're all kind of rooting for him when he gets up? I find maybe you're not Ian, but I, you sort of are. But he's just not hitting the mark, is he? I Somehow. Mean, uh, yeah, he's all right today. I mean, what he was on about? He was on about clause eleven, right? Mm-hmm. This is clause eleven of the withdrawal bill, yeah. which says, which is also to do with powers, 
you're writing about it. What's Clause 11? <laughs> what's, this is all to do with powers coming back from Brussels. So about the, the repatriation of powers from Brussels yeah. um, and who basically gets those powers first, whether it's going to be Holyrood or Westminster. Um, and for the uh, for the guys up in the northeast, it's a big issue about fishing and farming powers. Really. Yeah. But they're going to get... Those powers are going to go to Holyrood. We know that. Right? Yeah. Or do we not know that? Well, is that not... I mean, well, the, the government have <laughs> said that, but I know it hasn't... Uh, you know, whether well, do you, how much do you trust them to actually do as they say? I suppose it would be utterly crazy for them for them not to come back. Yeah, it, you know, the, the majority of them not to go to Holyrood. But the thing is, can can you trust somebody who makes promises and then breaks them? And breaks them, and that's the big issue of Ian Blackford's <laughs> question. Because we were told during my own amendments to Clause Eleven of the bill, um, all the Scottish Conservative MPs popped up and said, "This is deficient." The Secretary of State for exiting the EU got to the dispatch box and said, it's OK, we'll resolve this in report stage. Mm. The Secretary of State for Scotland then said, yes, no problem, we'll resolve it in report stage. And they haven't brought any amendments forward. So, um, But they've now said they're going to amend it in the Lords. Well, <laughs> your check's in the post. Yeah, all right. You know, <laughs> let me know when it arrives. It's, I haven't sent it yet. I've no intention of sending it. I mean, that's why people do get uh, upset and they're a little bit... Um, Curious about whether or not these powers will be devolved. They should be. They should be devolved, and the government should have resolved this before they even published the bill. They could have resolved it before they published the bill. Yeah, I think that's the problem. It's a it's a cock up, isn't it? Rather than and, conspiracy. Yeah, and but it gives Ian Blackford and the SNP yet another grievance to keep pressing the grievance button, and that's what they should be trying to avoid. Well, and there's also an issue, isn't there? Because there are no gnats in the Lords, obviously. So well, not yet, but a... I'm sure Mr. Salmon's <laughs> desperate. Oh, come on, desperate. There's, but that is if a asked, he'll say no. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> but that is a problem. There are no Nats in the Lords, so that's there's a, a democratic issue there because obviously they did get lots of votes at the last election and all the rest of it. And it does, as you say, give the Nats just another thing to kick the government with. Going, why are you changing it in the Lords where we are not? But, but uh, I mean, they've got a, they've got a particular grievance there, but. They, they can't complain about the Lords and then not take up the seats and then complain things are being done there. But the good thing about the Lords at the moment is the government doesn't have a majority. It's and right. therefore, if they don't now amend this in the Lords, they will have hell to pay. I mean, I think the the, the terminology that Dominic Grieve used, the Conservative backbencher who's been pushing some of these amendments, was don't kick the hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. And I think if they took these into the Lords and didn't make the amendments that they're promising, they'd be kicking the hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh it's going to be a shambles when it gets to the Lords, isn't it? It's going to be fun and games. BBC Parliament till 11 o'clock every night. It'll be fantastic. Can't wait. Um, let's just mention another PMQ from a Nat. Well, let's mention the two. There's two. Mary Black had one, which I thought would be about Waspy, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was about child maintenance and the system of child maintenance. And it was a very good PMQ, I thought. She raised a constituency, you know, a constituent has a problem and sort of, in terms of the sort of broader problems of the system. That's exactly what MPs should do. And then there was... Um, Pete Wishart's well what did we think of Pete Wishart's PMQ I thought it was funny I thought it was good okay did you see Pete <laughs> I thought it could have gone horribly wrong where you were was that when he said out of 1 to 10 yeah. Yeah. I know why he'd give the Prime Minister what would she give herself yeah which is a, I thought it was quite a cute question because clearly she says 10 that's laughable she said any less than 10 it's bad it looks bad you know it's quite clever <laughs> And then he holds up a sign. A seven out of ten. But then he holds up a sign saying "nul point," mm. uh, which ah have, no, hold on, both out of order and just a bit silly. Isn't but it? you can't say to the prime minister, "Give yourself a score of one out of ten and then hold up zero because that wasn't on the, pa- well, the ballot paper. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Good point. You've seen the fatal flaw with this. So a fatal. Other than that being a bit silly, you know, my problem was, and I tweeted this yesterday. Hannah Bardell did a rap 
instead oh, of a speech. It was awful. <laughs> Today, Pete holds up a sign, which is out of order. You're not allowed to have props in the chamber. That is a rule. And, and you've already been that. upset by Hannah Bardell wearing he, a football shirt. Oh, there's Hannah wearing the football <laughs> shirt. Oh, that was, uh, uh, you know, take or leave that, really. Um, but it just smacks of the Nats doing stunts. And given they came here and said, we are above Westminster and its stupidity, as I tweeted, doesn't somebody need to get a grip and say, right, quit the stunts, just do your job properly, like Mary Black did? Fair? Well, the Hannah Bardell rap that she did before to train spotting was good. Oh, she did because the train spotting one as well, yeah. It was timely. I think the premiere had been that week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just short. To then go into the chamber and do a lengthy rap about Brexit on mm. a similar sort of theme just seems a little bit inappropriate in my view. I, I was in the chamber and and I was cringing, really. Yeah, but you're a fan of these stunts. Do you think they brighten, make, brighten up life in I, I also, Westminster? I didn't like I didn't like the rap. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not too bothered about somebody holding up a sign saying But isn't the point, I suppose the point is you have the rule because when's it end? Yeah. Because once people start bringing in props and, you know, all sorts of stuff, they'll start holding up whatever, you know, th- just to get a picture on the internet and all the rest of it, and, you know, people start using the chamber I think to get it, it, it does for, speak for a stunt bit, trial and for proper serious business. It speaks a little bit to the difficulty maybe people have actually getting coverage um, mm. on the serious issues that they're trying to raise. Yeah. Um, if, if that's what the media is interested in, you know, they're really playing to, to that. Aren't they? They're not playing to the media, though, are they? I mean, this is the thing with Hannah's rap. It's a clip that she will then put on Facebook and get all the, you know, this is the Corbyn strategy. If mm-hmm. you get a clip, he doesn't ask questions for answers anymore, does he? No, he gets up and says something that he can clip up and stick out on Facebook. So they're not even playing to the media. It's just playing to new media. I mean, that, that's... Well, not the, necessarily, because the, the first Hannah Bardell rap, the train spotting one, was on Channel 4 News used it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's, that's why she's used... Well, yeah, that, maybe that's why she's tried to do it again, because she feels that that gets her... Yeah national recognition I just think some of these things are uh, some some people can do these things off the cuff and they're done well I don't know if mm. you remember Nadim Zahawi had his Christmas tie on a few years ago and it started to yes. sing a Christmas carol as he was wearing it he had no intention of that to happen <laughs> but it happened and it was funny mm. and the speaker sort of half-heartedly told him off and he was on mm. national television across the world I think yeah um, but to deliberately sit and write a rap or hold up a sign that says zero when you've already asked if it's one to ten. It just also smacks a little bit of. Well, like I guess you just compare it to Mary Black, who, you know, got up, asked a straightforward question, good question, did her job. But she is, tends to get coverage no matter what she Well, does. that's true. <laughs> yes, because that is true. I mean, she's all over social media, isn't yeah. she? Just because she's Mary Black. Um, okay. Well, look, we've just been talking about Brexit. Let's cover um, not on that bit of paper, on a different paper. <laughs> The mischief you've been up to, Ian Mischief Murray. Well, you know, someone's got to defend the country from itself. Your reasoned (laughs) amendment. First of all, is there such a thing as an unreasoned amendment? No. Can you ask for (laughs) David Davis to wear a traffic cone on his head after Brexit? And that would be entirely unreasonable and it'd be an unreasoned amendment. Actually, it's an order. It would be an order to amend a clause of a bill that says... The this clause doesn't come into effect until the Secretary of State runs down Whitehall naked with a cone on his head. There's no Secretary of State who want that to happen. Okay, so that's that's right. But okay. it's not, it, it, I suspect that's an order. It's legally an order. I would have thought. Well, it'd be entirely unreasoned. So you called commencement, but it wouldn't be called an unreasoned amendment. No. Um, you want to keep us in the customs union? Yes. We're not staying in the customs union. Your amendment got kicked out. What was the point of all this? 
Well, it's to keep it on the table. The country's moved. The general election changed everything. The Prime Minister's weak. And I, I'm very firmly of the view that the best way to protect the country from Brexit is continuing to participate in the single market and the customs union. For Could I just give you two reasons not to be too boring about it? Yep. The first one is the government's made the case for the single market and the customs union themselves because they can't deliver the objectives they want to deliver on Brexit without it. Mm-hmm. You can't have a frictionless border between the north of Ireland and the island on the island of Ireland and the south of Ireland yes. without being in the customs union and the single market. It just really? is impossible. Because if you have to, you have to check something. As uh-huh. I understand that Baileys and there are other alcoholic products out there for there consumption, um, is made from. I'll, I'll, go, I'll get this wrong, but to, just to give you a broad uh, example, is made from milk that's taken in the north, transferred to the south. The uh, whiskey comes from the south. It then goes back to the north for bottling and packaging, and is then sent east through the UK into the European market. Mm-hmm. You can't deliver that unless you're in the single market, the customs union. Uh, really? Can't you just come out of the customs union and single union and not bother checking that border? Well, then the European Union would say the UK has just done a bilateral deal with China. China's flooding the UK market with cheap imports and it's being able to go into the EU without any check at the border. The mm. EU wouldn't stand for that, never mind, never mind the UK. And it would also cause problems with immigration, surely, if you want to keep your... Well, you put the border, you put the border in the sea, don't you? You have the, you have the border in the Irish Sea. That's the that's the solution, which I know is. But that economically unifies the, Ireland, the and also, you would have to have what happens to east-west trade. So most seventy uh, percent of trade that comes out of the island of Ireland lands at the UK to go to Europe because there's no other way in. It's the quickest and cheapest way in. All right, Ireland's not that big. Well, let's not get hung up on Ireland. Let's not worry about that. Yeah, exactly. Come on. There's a topical um, question that I keep asking, though. Yeah. And I've asked Foreign Office Ministers, Dexu Ministers, Scottish Secretary of State, that how can they make the argument that an independent Scotland would have required a border at Berwick, but yes. they can't make the same argument for Ireland? Yeah. And a nameless Foreign Office Minister, uh, who I bumped into in the corridor late one evening, said to me, keep asking that question because there is no answer. Yeah, I mean, clearly. But then why would you keep answering it, asking it if there's no answer? Well, the only way to solve it is customs union in the single market. Um, All right, well, you keep raising the customs union in the single market. Chuka did it back in the summer, right? Uh, Now you've done it now. Doesn't matter. You keep losing. What's the point? Move on. Brexit's happening. We're leaving the customs union in the single market. Why are you wasting your time with your reasoned amendments? We're leaving the European Union. Yes. But we could continue to participate in the single market and the customs union. In fact, I I think we're going to end up there anyway. How are we going to end up there? Because the EU will say, OK, you want a bespoke deal. Your bespoke deal is that you can participate in the customs union in the single market. Um, and what? Uh, but the Tories are going to accept that? Or do we end up there because Jeremy Corbyn is prime minister? Or either that is your, or you fall off the cliff. Well, Jeremy is completely fundamentally wrong because he said this week that you can't... Uh, we're leaving do you want to add any more to that sentence or just completely fundamentally well, wrong, full stop? Comma. Um, because he said this week in front of the Parliamentary Labour Party that we're leaving the EU and therefore we have to leave the single market. Well, that is not that is not correct because Norway is in the single market, but it's not in the EU. Did you walk out and shake your head and sigh like Tucker? I can't remember. No, I, I waited till it's the end. widely and... reported that he'd walked out, sighed and shook his head. Woof! Oof. <laughs> That's serious. Well, um, how could you sleep in your bed at night well, without going absolutely. on? Absolutely. Uh, you can, of course, you can hear Tucker interviewed on the uh, latest Brexit breakdown podcast from the UK to Changing Europe. Um, if you look for it on my feed or anywhere else, um, is Jeremy Corbyn a Brexiteer? Yes. Okay. That's, would you agree, Ian? Well, he's, he's, he's certainly, um, given the 
pol- the official policy of the Labour Party is to come out of the EU, to come out of the single market, and to come out of the customs union. Given the consequences of that, that heads you more towards a hard Brexit than a soft Brexit, in my view, and in the view of business sectors, my colleagues who support my amendments. Um, is Richard Lennon a Brexiteer? <laughs> um, I think that's a more difficult question to ask, um, but he he does seem to be <laughs> more on the side of, of a harder Brexit. He seems a bit Brexit, doesn't he? He's a a harder Brexity. jobs first Brexit. <laughs> Do you say he's a Brexiteer? But this is where the contradictions come in. No, no, I'll answer the question. You, well, I, I can answer it by explaining why I'll answer it. You can't have a jobs a, a, a for jobs Brexit while going down the strategy of removing yourself from the single market at the customs union because all the analysis from the Fraser Vandal Institute right through to even the Office for Budget Responsibility says that that is the most disastrous thing to happen. So um, to say I want a jobs first Brexit is it doesn't mean anything. It's a collection of words in the right order to formulate a sentence, but actually it doesn't mean anything. You can't have a jobs first Brexit while having the policies, pursuing the policies that the party is currently pursuing. So is Richard Lennon a Brexiteer? Uh, he wants out of the EU more passionately than I do. Okay. And Neil Finlay's certainly a Brexiteer. Neil Finlay's a Brexit spokesperson. Most mm-hmm. people want out of Europe more than you do because you don't want to be out of the EU or anything at all. So, no, I, I don't. Mean, that's not really saying much. That's true. <laughs> that doesn't make you a Brexiteer. That's I mean, true. All right, okay. Um, how do we feel about Richard Lennon? Is he doing a good job? Um, I think he's started rel- relatively well. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure he's you know set the heather alight as yet. It takes a long time to become a leader that's known. To be honest, it happens with every leader. So it deserves fundamentally the benefit of the doubt, and hopefully we'll see Richard um, flourish in the next few months. We haven't seen him flourish yet. I mean, if he's try- if his job is to get Labour back in the game. He's not done it so far. It was, it was, the timings of these things are always different. He was only elected leader on the 18th of November and then everybody goes on Christmas holidays. So I'd give it a few months. All right. I, I like Richard a lot. I think he's great. I think he's capable. I think he could do a really good job. Um, he's got a tough task ahead of him. But um, he deserves time. He seems like quite a decent guy. Yes, yeah. meeting him, you know, face to face. But he's made some serious. I don't know how how he took three weeks, apparently, because he called in every single person to to form his oh, shadow, shadow cabinet. Shadow cabinet. Well, then it take, there's only like fifteen of them. It doesn't even <laughs> take a day to call them all in. Still managed to appoint, as you say, a Brexiteer to to head up the to head up Brexit, and also Elaine Smith. And I know this is a sort of semantic quibble, but if you're going to give somebody the the dramatic title of eradicating poverty and inequality, yeah. then maybe don't choose somebody. who who has been outspoken on the on the issues of, of gay marriage and gay rights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems pretty basic. So, well, <laughs> sounds like there's a bit more hope than experience that Richard Lennon's good. Is that fair to say? I've not seen a lot so far. But, but as you say, Jenny's right. He's, 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 a, he's a good guy. People will like him. He will he will connect with people, um, and anybody who knows Richard knows he's a nice guy, and his heart's in the right place. And that that for me is a good start. His values in the right place. So if he builds on that. I think he'll have a good a good leadership, including supporting England at the football. His values <laughs> in the right place there. Well, well, imagine if Scotland England get drawn in the qualifying group for the Euro. Oh, they can't anymore. They can't anymore. It's all changed. Oh, oh, why do they change things? Why do people change things? Yeah. Eh? That would have been fantastic. Right, let's finish with. Uh, I love your questions, which, despite being the new year, still has the same jingle. I love your questions. I love your questions. I love your questions. There you go, that was inspired by La La Land. That was out like a year ago. I'll change it one day. Um, The question set by Neil Gray was, what is your new year's resolution? Ah, broken it already. (laughs) 
What was it? To be nice to Jeremy Corbyn? It was, it was to stay. It was not to drink in January. Oh dear! You stay sober. You changed. You changed that. Mostly not even stay sober. I mean, that's so the drinks of the day. Oh, dry January's rubbish. I know it's, it it's rubbish. But what I did, what I, I did a stop October once. Yeah. Which it, it consisted of me drinking on the first of October, and not stopping. Well, fair enough. So, um, on that basis, my New Year's resolution is out the window already, and I'm the, sorry. The only thing worse than dry January is veganuary. That's uh, not even a word. That's not oh, even a word. We're going to upset me so, so much. <laughs> I don't mind the concept, but veganuary is just stupid. It's not a word, is it? You're doing veganuary. I tried veganuary once and it made me cry. I literally broke down in tears. I don't <laughs> mind the whole thing. About nine days into it and a pepperoni pizza. Can I, can I tell you my, my <laughs> best... Really, that's going straight off the bat. Wagon there, isn't it? You know, my not best, even just having uh, a little bit of bacon. Going, ah, pepperoni pizza, bring it. My best culinary advice of all time oh, yeah. for veganuary was... And every dish, put coconut milk, because it makes it easier to scrape into the bin. <laughs> That's good. Very good. Who gave you that? Tom Harris. Oh, Tom okay. MP. Um, cool, yeah. He's got, lot, he's got lots of good advice, Tom Harris. Um, okay, let's do question for next week's guest. Next, next week, sorry, fortnight. Next week, it is uh, the Brexit breakdown back again with a guest, which I think almost certainly will be Alison McGovern. Um, which is worth listening to because it's oh, we had a bit of a fallout. Um, but in a fortnight, it'll be Jed Killen making his debut on this podcast. You can tell him what mm. an amazing experience it is, Ian. I can. Uh, and what will be your question for him? Oh, my question for Jed would be: if he could be any other member of Parliament, who would it be? <laughs> Sorry, Jed. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting one. Who would you be? You're not supposed to ask me the same questions. Well, I don't I'd be Jed Cullen. Ah, very good, very good. <laughs> You'd be Mary Black, surely. <laughs> oh. Right, um, listen, we'll finish there. I will say thank you to my guests. Thank you to uh, Jennifer for coming on for the first time. Thank you. Thank you to Ian for making it uh, again. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch, I am at Political Yeti on Twitter. I am politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email or the website is james-miller.com uh, come back next week for a Brexit breakdown and in two weeks for another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcast thank you